0: Just got done doing an interview with a, another friend of mine in regard to kind of like a forecast of what's the outlook for 2022. What do you think, Sean? What's going on? What do you think with between COVID and between interest rate hikes, between shadow inventory and all that stuff? You know, what do you think is going to happen in 2022? Where do you think that the opportunities are going to be? And where can we find a billion dollar opportunity to make some money in the market?
1: Welcome to Billion Dollar Blind Spots. Where we help businesses and individuals recognize and capitalize on the billion dollar blind spots in life and business. Listen in as best selling author Sean T. Chalice uncovers the not so obvious billion dollar blind spots in various businesses, industries, and markets. Chalice is the co founder of RI Squared Consulting where he specializes in creating proprietary platforms, strategies, and systems to capitalize on changing markets and services. By combining more than three decades of practical tactical experience with modern-day artificial behavioral intelligence, we can discover and deliver the really intelligent information to change their lives and business.
0: Hey there, everybody. Sean Shallis, host of Billion Dollar Blind Spots. Welcome back. It is uh, December 21st. I just had a 2012, just got done doing an interview with a, another friend of mine in regard to kind of like a forecast of what's the outlook for 2022. What do you think, Sean? What's going on? What do you think with between COVID and between interest rate hikes, between shadow inventory and all that stuff, you know, what do you think is going to happen in 2022? And where do you think that the opportunities are going to be and where can we find a billion dollar opportunity to make some money in the market? In some cases, we're talking to major hedge funds, major real estate investment trusts, private portfolio managers. We're talking to the investor that owns one or two investment properties. We're talking to the guy who has his personal house down the street from me or my house. In some cases, that house may be $300,000. In other cases, it could be 3 or $4 million for their personal residence. They own two or three other houses. So you know there is a concern. I do you want to know what the market is doing and how to play the market going forward? And the smarter investors, they're looking to see if there's an opportunity about to happen or has it already happened. So in order to kind of go forward, Forwards, we got to go backwards first. We got to kind of look at what's going on out there and what's been going on. So right now we have another variation of COVID that's happening. It's actually they just shut down some of the shows in New York City. Saturday Night Live actually shut down. They did the they did the show virtually, which I didn't even realize this week. So that's a sign that this is coming around again. We also have the Fed Chairman uh, telegraphing that they're going to be doing anywhere between one to three interest rate hikes over the next 12 months in 2022. We have a bunch of political unrest with the Democrats and Republicans fighting over tax bills and fighting over different plans and everything else. President Biden's talking about huge interest rate hikes for capital gains. So what do we see and where is the opportunity going to be and where it, what is the forecast first of all? Once we look backwards and we look at the forecast, then we can actually look for the opportunity in the forecast. So let's back up for a second. I want to just kind of back you guys up a little bit and do history repeats itself obviously, especially in the real estate business and the real estate business. You've heard me say this hundreds of times. The real estate business repeats itself anywhere about 8 to 12 years in a row. It goes on a cycle. And right now we're in a pretty much an up cycle. You know, the market is taking off like a rocket again, but it is starting to stabilize. We are starting to see prices come back in line with the market. We're starting to see properties that are expiring unsold, which means that they were overpriced or they just didn't sell for some reason. We're seeing people negotiate again on home sales or, and on home properties when they go to purchase them and they do a home inspection and there's things wrong with it instead of buying the house on the blind, as they say, without even seeing it, where we were having people from New York City actually buying houses without doing a home inspection and closing without even seeing the property. They just wanted to get out of the city that bad. But now we're actually seeing people going back to normal. We're going back to, into a pseudo normal market, if you will. We'll see how long that lasts with the new COVID variant. I'm going to back you up a little bit. I want to go back to 2008. So in 2008, when we worked in that market, and you know, I'm not a genius, but I've been in the real estate business since 1996. I started in 1988. I actually got involved in the real estate business and the construction side. I ended up going in the south side in 1996 after developing a patent on a bicycle lock. My buddy said, you know, everybody in town, he goes, you should sell real estate. He he goes you, you can make a lot of money. My mom does it. She stinks at it, and she makes a ton. I did get involved in real estate. Thank God for my friend Matt. Found my you know my calling. So 2008 comes around. You know the market is flying up into that point. I opened a real estate office, and literally about a month after I opened a real estate office, bam! You know the financial debacle of 2008 and nine happens. We have a bunch of what I'm going to call commercial mortgage backed securities. We find out that there really was no security in it. The properties that they had uh, told them that there was a value in were really not. They were overvalued, overappraised. People were getting loan. In terms of like for a million dollars on an income of a hundred thousand dollars. You know, I still remember telling a friend of mine who's a brilliant guy, has a quantitative analytics degree from MIT. And when we were selling his house in two thousand and seven, he said, "Sean, you sure this is the top of the market?" And I said, "Paul, I see guys getting loans for one point five million dollars with three percent down and no job, no income, and no assets." And I mean, honest to God, they're getting a loan for that, and it's phantom money. It's just ridiculous. This can't keep going. Ironically enough, a year later, the market imploded. And I, you know, I thought to myself like, holy Christ, you have a quantitative analytic degree from one of the best schools in the country and you work on Wall Street and you're missing this blind spot. Like, is this that much of a hole in the market? And you know what? It really was. Because unless your pulse is on the market, you really don't see the storm coming across the beach. But if you're a local in New Jersey and you're sitting on the beach and you're watching the rain come in, you could see it coming across the ocean miles away. But if you're a tourist, you're really not looking for it and you really don't know. You don't. You didn't notice that, hey, well, wait a minute, you know, that the temperature changed a little bit. They got a little moisture in the air. What's going on? And then you look up across the ocean, you could see the storm coming. So in 2008, we saw the storm coming. We just ignored it. Interest rates were, you know, at that time, they were at about a 6.2, 6.5%. Unemployment after 2008 just went up 10%. So from a norm of 4%, it went up to 10%. That's almost double what it normally is. Sales in the real estate market went from 7.2 million down to 3.8 million literally overnight. I can remember opening my office and literally the first day I got the sheets from the multiple listing service and it said, okay, you know, Sean, out of 180 companies, you're number 92. And I was like, I was so excited to get that report. It was like a nine page report and they sent to you by fax. So the following month, I knew that it came out on the 15th of the month. I run to my office. I get there. It's like six o'clock in the morning. I'm standing at the fax machine, like a little kid waiting for the candy to come through the machine and come page nine, page 10. I'm waiting for page 11 and 12. 11 and 12 don't come. I look at the report. Thank God my small company of like seven people went from 90 to number like 40 or something like that of 180 companies. And then I went to go look and it really wasn't 180 companies anymore. It was 140. And really what happened was I called the multiple listing service and said to the woman over there, I go, hey, Billy, you know, I didn't get the last two pages with the other companies on there. She goes, Sean, those companies went out of business last month. Are, are you paying attention to what's going on out there? I was like, holy crap. So literally it decimated 40 companies out of 180 companies, literally in 30 days, just as a result of the market. You know, the sales went from 7.2 million to 3.8 million the sale prices also went down almost in half exponentially. And at that point, the government said, oh my God, we need to do something. They threw out what I'm gonna call a life preserver. They threw out the life jacket was called memorandums. And what the memorandums were designed to do was to actually stop banks and financial institutions from foreclosing on people that were in distress situations where they hadn't made a mortgage payment for 30, 60, 90 days. Except that, you know, normally we would know about that because after 60 days, the bank would file Liz pendants with a court or it would file with a, with a judge and or uh, you know, a, an attorney firm, they would file a letter called the List Pendants, which actually notifies both the owner of the property, but it also notifies the investor of the instrument, which is the, you know, the commercial mortgage backed security for lack of a better word, or AIG at that time, who owned a lot of the insurance and a lot of the primary mortgage insurance was backed by a company called AIG, who also almost went bankrupt during 2008 and nine. So these companies actually thought that they had a fairly solid investment. It turns out though, that there was more than 800,000 to a million properties. I'm going to say that again, 800,000 to a million properties. And bear in mind, at that time, there was only 4 million properties being sold. So that was 25% of the market was either distressed or in what they called the shadow inventory. And the challenge was the financial institutions, unless they really went digging, the general public had no idea that these properties were out there and they were distressed. And ultimately what happened was once we started to go back to normal in like 2009, 2010, they actually, the government pulled back their memorandums that allowed the banks to now go into a foreclosure process. They did warn them and they tried to say to them, hey, you should give these people some kind of vehicle out other than just foreclosing on them. So a lot of them were restructured loans. They took the payments, they put them on the back of a 30-year loan and turned it into a 35-year loan or something like that. But at the end of the day, there was a tremendous amount of properties that were sold and that came into the market as distressed properties. Over the next six months, how much did that affect the market? 10%. So the market actually went dipped another additional 10% from 3.8 million to. 3.5 3.5 million point like 5 million of properties in the market So, you know, and that's just a function of supply and demand. All of a sudden you go into a market where you had 15 properties for every one buyer to now having 20 to 25 properties for every one buyer. Of course, the market is going to take a nosedive. During the, you know, bear in mind during the same period of time, the government took interest rates from six and a quarter percent in 2008 down to about four and a quarter. So they dropped it almost 2% over a two year period, almost three years. And then ultimately when they pulled it back again and the shadow inventory came into the market, they went from four and a quarter down to three and a half and three and a quarter at some of the lowest points we even saw rates at as low as three percent in 2014 2013 so you know now let's fast forward a little bit and let's look at a, a seasonal or, or what i'm going to call a cyclical trend which is in the real estate business it's an eight to ten year cycle that real real estate typically will cycle from what they call peak to peak or from top to bottom so you're going to go from 2008 to 2010 years later 2018 what's going to normally happen you know what in 2018 the market started to soften up but interest rates were at four and a quarter and the federal government Came out and said, "Well, oh, wait a minute. You know, let's see. Let's see what we can do." So all of a sudden, they went. They actually started raising interest rates, and they started raising them pretty rapidly. And between 2018 and 2019, they actually raised rates almost three quarters of a percent in less than a year. So what happens when you raise rates that quickly in a market where you're still just recovering, just getting back on your feet? I mean, literally, it imploded the market. And on top of that, we were in a time when remember I said market cycles every ten years or so. 2008 plus ten years is 2018 right on the money. We were actually anticipating the market to soften up, which it was doing. Now, all of a sudden, the Fed actually pushes on their interest rates and raises them up three quarters of a percent. Literally every quarter, they raised it another quarter of a percent over a three quarter period. Say what you will about Donald Trump, but the one thing he does know is real estate and real estate housing and residential housing. He was actually out on the front lawn screaming and hollering at the federal chairman saying, what are you doing? You're going to implode the market. The reality is they did. They really did implode the market. It went to a standstill. It actually stalled the market all but went to a standstill. Still in 2019, they woke up and they said, "Oh, wait a second! You know, we made a mistake. Let's start pulling rates back down again." Between late 2018 to 2019, they bring the rates back down from about a five percent at the peak of it all, just over five percent, back down to about a four and an eighth, four and a quarter was about the rate that you ended up seeing. So now, all of a sudden, we're starting to go back into a normal market. It's 2019. We're cruising along, and then. Bam, we have COVID. COVID sets in. The market goes upside down. People are really scared to help. They're scared to death. They really don't know what to do. They don't know what's going on. In the first quarter of 2021, unemployment went from 3.8 to 15.5%. I'm going to say that again. In literally in a quarter, in less than three months, our actual unemployment rate went from 3.8 to 15.5%. Now, I don't know if you remember what I said, but in 2008, we saw unemployment go down. We saw unemployment raise, and it raised quite a bit, but it wasn't really 300%. Now, you know, to go from 4%, which is normal, to about a 10%, that's a pretty big swing. It actually went up 100%, a little more than 100%, probably 125%. This time around, we went up 300%. So, what do you think happens when that many people are out of work? Of course, they're having problems with not having jobs, not being able to pay their bills. The government steps in again, throws out the life preserver. This time, not only did they throw out the life preserver to stop the federal banks and the financial institutions from actually foreclosing on on these people, but they also threw them money. They threw a lot of money at them. And really what was happening was people were getting paid more money to stay home than they were when they were working. So they really had no interest in going back to work. And when they did say they can finally go back to work, a lot of them said, screw it, we're not going back to work. And right now, if you go into like, we went into a restaurants in Lake George over the summer. Do you know that we were in a restaurant that normally would hold 300 people for dinner on a Thursday night. The funny thing was there was probably 30 people out front in a the line. There was 15 people inside at tables. And I walked up to the woman and I said, you know, let me ask you a question. Like, can you get us a table for 12? And she said, oh my God, no way. You know, there's, there's no way we can do that. And I said, well, what about three tables of four? And she goes, sir, look around here. And I go, yeah. She goes, I'm the hostess. I have two people in my kitchen and I have two people that are servicing this entire restaurant, including me, when I'm not at this table helping you. She goes, there is no way in hell we can accommodate your party. I really apologize for that. So that was the theme. There was restaurants that should have been open that, that were closed because they just couldn't find the people to actually man the tables to work. There was no labor force out there to work. So all of a sudden, we start to see unemployment. We start to see COVID kind of be, you get their arms around it a little bit. We start to see people going back to work a little bit late in 2020, 2021. Just before that though, what happens to the real estate market? People are afraid to sell their house because they don't know where they're going. People that are living in a house are afraid to leave their house house. People that want to sell their house, don't want to sell, don't want to let somebody in their house to show it. So ultimately what happens, and now you have people that are in high density areas, like in the tri-state area in New York, where we have a ridiculous amount of people per square foot. And then you go into New York City where people are living on top of each other. And you have the scare of probably one of the largest pandemics since the Black Plague, if I'm not mistaken. And so you have people that are trying to get out of New York City and trying to buy a place out in the country away from people. The challenge is there's no inventory. So remember when I said 2008, There was one buyer that was qualified to buy a home for every 15 homes that were in the market. Reverse that in 2021, 2019, 2020. We did actually, I should say at the height of COVID, we actually had anywhere between 15 to 20 buyers for every house that came on the market. Again, 15 to 20 buyers for every house that came on the market. But oddly enough, the market that was really moving then was the properties between $300,000 and $500,000. So my team actually, we specialize in Northern New Jersey. We specialize in doing $700,000 or $800,000 residential homes. What's interesting is we figured out that that market in 2019, when everybody was out of work, wasn't moving at all. But yet there was properties that were flying off the shelf, which were the properties between 300000 and 500000 So, So what did we do? During COVID-19, one of the first things we did, we sat down, we took out a whiteboard, and we figured out how much of the real estate process needed to be done in person and how much of the process could we do virtually. What we really learned was the vast majority of the process could be done virtually. We really only needed to get in the house maybe once, maybe twice to let somebody in there. And then we opened the doors, opened the windows, we got in our hazmat suits and we showed the property. And what's interesting is what we figured out very quickly was even though properties between our normal market, which would have been 800,000 or up, wasn't turning over or wasn't selling for the most part, that's because those people were in between. They didn't know if they were going back to work. They didn't know if they were going to work. They didn't know if they had jobs. I mean, literally people were on the sidelines just wondering what was going to happen if they were going to get back in the game again. But yet the people that were working were the frontliners the people that were the policemen, the firemen, the the paramedics, the nurses, the doctors. Anybody that was on the front line was actually, not only were they working, but they were working triple shifts. They were working massive amounts of overtime and they had wads of cash and they had no place to spend it. So what was happening? Happening was we figured out very quickly that if we could get properties between 300 and 500, now bear in mind interest rates are at 3%. With an interest rate at 3%, you can actually buy a three to $500,000 house with $120,000 income. If you talk to a frontliner that normally makes $75,000, $80,000, how much do they make when they are making overtime? One hundred and twenty. dollars If they have a spouse that stays at home with their kids and they maybe are a school teacher or something like that, in many cases that household income is anywhere between $100,000 and $150,000. So those are the people that were buying homes. So we should shifted our focus to that billion-dollar blind spot, if you will. If we had just kept on focusing what we normally did, we would have went out of business like everybody else. And actually, during that period of time, my team and I, we did more business than most companies did for the entire year during a six-month period because we actually shifted to the market as opposed to letting the market dictate what was going to happen to our business. So now we look at it and we say, okay, like I said, December 21st, 2021, we're starting to see properties level in a little bit. We're starting to see the market soften up. We're seeing multiple offers but maybe we're seeing one or two offers as opposed to eight or nine offers. We're seeing properties that are coming in, uh, they're appraising or they're under appraising because the appraiser is saying, you know, they're just not worth it. Or we're seeing properties that people are negotiating on and or they're negotiating uh, credits or they're negotiating repair credits. So that's a sure sign that the market is going back to normal. Remember what we said, market recovers, its cycles are better every 10 years. The United States government buoyed up our recovery cycle that should have happened in 2018 and 19. They actually threw us a light Preserver, and even though they almost imploded the market, and stalled the market, all but stalled it to zero when they raised interest rates of three quarter, you know, three quarters of a percent in less than a year, they realized they made a mistake and they actually jump started and took out the jumper cables, put it on there, and jump started the market by pushing the rates down, not one percent, but almost two full percentage points over the next year, and that actually buoyed up the market. And then, with the COVID effect, is what we're going to call it. Not only did it buoy up the market, it actually put it on steroids and made the market take off like a rocket. So now that we're stabilizing, where do we see the market going as we go? Fuck I mean, yeah, we have another COVID variation happening, but I think now we're getting conditioned to it. And even though it's a terrible thing, it's happening. I think we're in front of it and we're starting to see that we have some kind of not a cure for it, but we do have some treatments for it and we can get in front of it. Is the variant that's out there now probably more aggressive than the other ones? According to the news, it is. Um, According to the news, this variant is actually happening and transmitted very, you know, far more, uh, far quicker than the, the original COVID 19 variant. So, where do we see the market and what do you see? What do you think the forecast is, Sean? moving forward. Well, let's look at this from a perspective of, we have a market that's settling down. We had a market that went straight through the roof where people were paying 15 to 20% more than a property's worth because they wanted to get out of their environment and get into a new environment. Now that market settles down, all of a sudden people come back to normal. Financial institutions are actually looking at their books going, oh my God, what do we have on the books now? And now they're actually, and the federal government is coming out saying, hey, in 2022, we think we're going to raise rates again. Probably we're going to maybe raise rates three times in a year. Does that sound familiar? 2000. 2018, 2019, we went from 4.2 to almost 5%. I mean, that's a huge increase over a 12-month period. Didn't we learn from history? On top of that, the shadow inventory. I mean, let's face it, last time we went from 4% of the people out of work to 10% of the people out of work. The shadow inventory that was created from that debacle was 800,000 to a million properties, which was 25% of the market. Right now, our sales are at 6.5%. We're expecting 68 by the end of the year, maybe 7 million properties sold in the United States. But unemployment went up 300%. And a lot of those people, even though the, the unemployment the uh, rector says, yeah, we're back to a normal 4%. When you go to a restaurant, you go into any restaurant, you go into any bodega, you go into any gas station, they can't find people to work. There. There's help wanted signs all over the place. And that's because those are the people that work off the books or work in cash. And they're actually in the back end of the market that nobody sees them. They're playing under the radar. And they're like the shadow employment number, if you want to call it that. Never thought of it that way, but it really is. So now you have all these people that are still 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 out of work. They don't want to go back to work because they're collecting unemployment. They got used to it. They already banged up their credit. They don't care about paying their mortgage. So now I'm anticipating that if we had a 300% increase in unemployment, which is 100% more than we did the last time, would not be unlikely to see 1.2 to 1.5 million homes of that 6 million, 7 million homes be in the shadow inventory and be distressed properties over the next 6 to 12 months. When are we anticipating that happening? The Fed's talking about raising rates first quarter, second quarter, third quarter. We're anticipating that the memorandums are going to get lifted somewhere between February and March, that's going to be the same time that they're going to be pushing on interest rates. They're going to be pushing on both ends. The market has no result but go down. And am I saying it's going to take a nosedive? No. But I do think that there is going to be an opportunity for smart investors, smart hedge funds, real estate investment trusts that are waiting and have cash, stockpile cash, waiting for opportunities. Because I believe that at least in the residential market, you're going to see anywhere between a million to a million and a half of distressed properties be introduced to the market over the next six to 12 months. In addition, You remember all those sticks and bricks? You remember all those people that we've all worked with and all the people that we've talked to and that own small businesses or medium-sized businesses? You know, the people that are old school and they said, hey, oh my God, I can never operate my business virtually. I have to be there in person. My brother, who's a stockbroker, I have to be in the office because I have to be in my Quotron. Hey, but God bless them. I mean, I get it. It makes sense. But the reality is even those people learned how to operate a business outside of the norm. They figured out that they can work virtually. And a lot of these companies over the past 12, 24 months actually reconditioned themselves to believe that you know what I have a neighbor that is a chief operating officer at a major engineering firm and he said you know Sean we were going to purchase another building and put in 40 desks for draftsmen and people and engineers and stuff like that to have any office and I realized that you know they don't need to be any office it's not even just the office space but it's the desk it's the office space it's the computers it's the software it's the licenses it's the the, the fax hub the communications hub it's the networks it's all that stuff. Now, all of a sudden, you're taking that out of the equation and you're taking those, you know. but bear in mind, a lot of these companies that had those sales forces of, let's say, they had a 100 people in the office or 5,000 people in the office for argument's sake, and now they figured out that 1,500 of those 5,000 can operate at a remote location. Now, all of a sudden, they're going to give up, let's say, three floors of office space, except that office space has a lease on it for the next 10 or 20 years. So, at the end of the day, I believe you're going to see some of the middle size, mid cap office space, the mid to large cap office space is going to start to change hands. And I believe you're going to see opportunities for small businesses and medium sized businesses to get leases in prime locations at severe, you know, huge discounts to the market. So where is the opportunity? Where is the billion dollar blind spot? I mean, let's look at the first one, the obvious one. If you're somebody that is going to buy bonds or you're an investor, conservative investor, and you're buying and selling stocks and bonds. If you're on the bond side and you're buying more conservative, uh, Instruments and stuff like that. I mean, I'd be looking at interest rates rising. I'd also be looking at REITs and uh, investment trusts. I'd be looking at housing stocks. You know, like D. Halton, Tall Brothers, Kay Havania, Pulte Homes, Del Webb. All those companies. I believe that you're going to see them start to that market start to soften up a little bit, and that's probably going to take place in the next 12 to 18 months. I think also I would take a really close look at any kind of REITs or publicly held or privately held portfolios that have large amounts of mid to large size office space in it. I believe. That you know, like when I drive down Main Street in in the center of town, you know those stores have changed hands so many times right now. And really, what they're doing is they're changing from delivering products to delivering services. So we didn't even discuss Amazon for Christ's sakes has changed the way people operate and the way people shop. I mean, it's Christmas time. I haven't stepped foot in a store. I don't think my wife has either. But we've done all our Christmas shopping. And you know what's funny is, I mean, I'm the last minute guy. I'm your typical you know mail chauvinist guy. Who I'm not a mail chauvinist pig. I'm the only. Man in the house with a dog or a female dog my two girls and my wife so and I was raised by two women so my, my mom and my sister god bless her soul, you know at the end of the day our lives has changed and it has not only changed from covid covid has really put in the magnifying glass on the way we operate and do a lot of things like the virtual you know getting your groceries delivered to your house and you know it changes the environment for the real estate environment it also changes the environment for the way we do business like i would be looking at businesses that are clearing houses for you know the consumers money i remember i worked for a guy who was at american express and they were working on the paypal equivalent and he had- actually left. American Express, because he figured out that they just really couldn't get their arms around it, and he ended up going work with PayPal uh, because they were on the forefront of it. And the reality is, companies like PayPal, Stripe, those companies that are that are actually accepting credit card payments virtually and stuff like that, Venmo, all those small companies, they're going to be a huge players going forward. You know, and I think from the real estate side, if you're a small guy and you want to get involved in the real estate business, if you took some equity out of your house, put it on the sidelines, waited another three to six months, you're going to see opportunities show up. And here's another, here's another play also. Let's say you're getting ready to retire in the next five to seven years and you're thinking you want to go to Florida, you think you want to go to the Jersey shore. So what do you do is your property is at an all time high right now. So go to the bank, get an equity line credit, pull the equity line out of your property, go find. Go wait six months to a year for properties to decrease in value as a result of the market like we're talking about in the market where you want to move to. Find the property down there, purchase that property with the equity from the house, and then rent that property for the next three to five years until you're ready to move there. And ideally, if you're buying a cash, there's a good chance that you're going to make a positive return on your investment. And what's interesting is, let's just say for argument's sake, you have 50% equity in your home right now, and your home is north of a million dollars. So you have a half a million dollars. Sitting in your house, it's getting zero interest and paying zero interest. So, why not put it to work for you if you can borrow it at four percent or three and a quarter percent? Okay, and then take that money, buy it, purchase a home that you're going to move to eventually when you downsize out of your present home. And you're going to buy that home at a discount in the discount in the discounted market. You're going to purchase it and you're going to use money at three and a quarter percent. And you're going to get, let's say, an eight to a ten percent return on rent after taxes. You're going to get about eight to a ten percent return on investment, cash on cash. That's you're doubling, tripling your money and you own the asset. And typically, if we look at properties over a 10-year period, in most cases, even though the market fluctuates, like we said, 10% when the active market is is fluctuating, whether you're thinking of buying or selling, what's interesting is over a 10-year period, in most cases, that property is gonna appreciate anywhere between 10 to 20 to 30 percent over that same period. So long term, that is a huge billion dollar blind spot, but it's all, it's also a lifestyle, you know, thing that you're gonna do anyway. So why not do it? While the market is on fire, how do you capitalize on the billion-dollar blind spot with the market going straight up and your property value huge? Take out some of the equity, find the house you want to buy, sit on the silence, wait for the market to adjust over the next three to six months. When it adjusts, purchase that home at a discount. If it doesn't adjust, don't use the money. Leave it sit there. Just have the access to the money. So I think, you know, we just talked about a bunch of different opportunities, but I think, you know, Realistically, the real estate market is always a place to invest in, invest in money, but it's not it's not always the play. Um, right, lastly, there's a lot of companies out there right now that are doing something that's pretty unique. Um, you know, uh, Grant Cardone is one of them that's doing it. And there's a couple other ones. They're actually having you know private investors like you and me are actually putting out and creating hedge funds where, and basically private real estate trusts, and really what they're doing is raising capital to purchase office buildings and stuff, and they're saying, hey, give us ten grand to give us. 10 50, dollars $100,000, and we'll give you a guaranteed 10% on your money. And if that property appreciates, we'll even give you a little bit of the upside. So those are some of the opportunities, some of the blind spots that I think we're going to see in 2022. And as always, you know, trying to time the market, any market for that matter, is probably not the smartest move. But if you're timing it and you're, you know, Probably one of my greatest mentors said it the best. And um, I got to give him a shout out. He's a guy named Ron Brown, old school investor. I still remember Ronnie and, and and you know going to lunch with him. And Ronnie said, Sean, anybody can get into a deal. Anybody can get into a real estate deal. He goes, find out. You're getting into the deal, you can always figure out one way to get in. The really the trick is figuring out how to get out and if i was anybody if i was to recommend it to anybody in my world we always figure out two ways to get out of a deal and whether that whether that's to sell that property or rent that property until the market comes back and really that you know when you go and you leverage money and you go to private equity guys to raise capital for real estate investments they typically want to know what the rental value is of that property because if all else goes if all else goes sideways and they had to re-rent that property you know what is it worth and can we cover our expenses can we cover the expense that we invested in it so shocking why most banks won't lend on a vacant piece of land because there is no there is no value on it, unless it's in the middle of the city where they can rent it as a parking lot. <laughs> so listen, Sean Chalice, Billion Dollar Blind Spots, 2022 forecast. We really appreciate you listening. We do appreciate your time and your effort. I wish you the happiest of holidays, no matter what you're celebrating. If you want to find out more about Billion Dollar Blind Spots for your business or your personal life or your personal investments, or you want to find out more about investing in real estate, check out our new book. It's uh, 10X House Selling Secrets. Uh, we're actually blowing up the billion-dollar blind spot. A year, For years, you either hired an agent or you sold the house on your own. And most of the time when you sell it on your own, you leave money on the table, like five to 10% on the table. What I'm showing you in the book, Antena's House Selling Secrets, where we empower the homeowners to sell their house themselves or save thousands of dollars without paying the realtor, without paying the commission. It was on an Amazon bestseller number five bestseller in 14 hours on Amazon. We didn't advertise it. We didn't market it. It's just that the message had to be heard. That's a huge blind spot in the market. We're going to be pushing on that going into next year. Just keep an it, keep it ear out for us. But if you're thinking of doing something with your piece of real estate in the next 24 months or 12 months for that matter, give me a call. You can get me. And also you can check out our link tree that's on the bottom of this po- uh, podcast. Look forward to seeing you on the other side. Sean Shallis, your friend, your neighbor, your real estate expert, and I'll talk to you soon.
1: Thank you for listening. Please feel free to comment and share this podcast. To learn more about Sean T. go to www.linktree.com backslash Sean T.